As long as, assuming we can both fit into said cars that are being produced these days, because isn't it interesting? As Americans are getting bigger, it seems to me that cafe standards are keeping sedans smaller than ever. Hmm. Isn't that bizarre? Because while it seems to me that people are obviously choosing that, yes, they do want bigger vehicles, because yes... SUVs and trucks are growing in popularity and growing in sales year after year. And a big part of that, I would assume, is that Americans are getting bigger, taller, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe just their preferences are changing. They want something a little larger for whatever reason. So why is it that people are having to go up a class into more expensive vehicles like SUVs and trucks. Do we want do we like paying more money or would we maybe just be happier in a sedan that was we could actually fit into? Because you see the deal is when I was buying a new car 2 3 years ago, almost every single one of them I was unable to fit into. And I'm I'm a 6 foot 7 large, you know, large guy, 230 pounds. I'm not obese or anything, but I'm just a large large boned guy. There's no getting around that. And the bottom line is, when we were out looking for cars, there was almost nothing that I could fit into. Ford Focus couldn't couldn't fit. It just I'm too big for it. It just wasn't comfortable. Honda Accord, same deal. The one we finally settled on was a Hyundai Sonata, and it was actually quite roomy. It still is, obviously. It's quite roomy in the front and the back. It's a beautiful thing. Now, the interesting thing is, if you notice, Hyundai... They're going to start producing a truck for the first time ever very soon. They're going to be releasing, I believe, either a 2019 or a 2020. They're going to be releasing a truck for the very first time. Isn't it interesting that the company that had the biggest sedan is now moving into trucks, but actually smaller type trucks? Well, here's the secret. Here's what I've been getting to. In America, we have something called CAFE standards. It's to deal with emissions of various different types, air emissions. Well, the deal is there isn't a limit on miles per gallon on any one vehicle per se. See, this is a fleet limit. It's an overall limit. So what Ford has to do, for instance, you see Ford, its biggest, most profitable product is the F-150, its truck. It's the biggest selling truck in America, and it's something that they have a rather large profit margin on. They want to keep selling those F-150s. No doubt about that. But those things, they also have CAFE standards that are set by the federal government. So what that means is in order to keep selling all these F-150s, they have to produce a bunch of tiny little Ford Focuses that most people don't actually want. See, those, those cars are actually loss leaders for Ford. And what that does is it allows Ford to keep pumping out their very profitable high-margin trucks, their F-150s, while then being, 
on the good side of the federal government's cafe standards by basically taking a small loss on some cars that really aren't particularly profitable and not that many people particularly want. Now, what the media has been telling you is that, oh, Americans have just changed their preferences. They just want SUVs and they want trucks now, more so than sedans. And I'm sure there's some truth to that. I'm sure there is, there is definitely the fact that trucks are much nicer than they used to be. So to some people, a truck is going to be a much more viable form of transportation other than just your sort of blue-collar worker types who aren't concerned about necessarily having your luxury features or a smooth ride as your modern trucks do. But the real point here is I think there's actually what's called in economics a very obvious crowding out effect here. See, I think there are still a ton of people, like my wife, for instance, who would like just a normal four-door type sedan car that isn't so freaking tiny, though, that it's actually uncomfortable to get around in. I think there's an obvious market for that that has now been crowded out by, frankly, cafe standards. Now, one of the interesting things is, too, there's so many companies now that are announcing that they're taking out, they're suspending production of these types of sedans, including the Cadillac CTX. Well, the C or maybe it's the CTS. I don't know. Too many letters. Give me a break here. I'm not a car guy. But anyway, the point is, I know that they're still selling one of these Cadillac sedans in China. Well, guess what? In China, they don't have these types of cafe standards. The Chinese government doesn't really particularly care about pollution, at least in any way that I can tell, or any sort of air quality concerns. So obviously there's a different thing here. Now we can talk about, well, we need some air laws and yada, yada, yada. We can get into that. The point I'm trying to make here is about the crowding out effect, how there is a market for smaller vehicles that is actually being pushed out by ostensibly laws that are designed to encourage lower energy consumption and encourage less less air less air pollution less carbon emissions whatever you want to call it ostensibly that's what the cafe standards are for and yet here they are crowding out cars that would be viable and actually smaller better gas mileage vehicles than suvs that this market is now being forced into because there aren't cars that meet their demands so they're now being forced up up a level into the suv and truck market to me this is just an obvious example of the crowding out effect. The airline industry is also one of the most regulated businesses you'll ever find. And there's a massive crowding out effect of competition in that business as well. Why do you think we're getting crowded into our seats now? There's a crowding out of large seats in airlines now. Another thing that while we're getting bigger, airline seats are getting smaller. Well, that's because their competition is getting crowded out by increased, increased regulations that are quite burdensome. See, regulations aren't free. They're going to be paid. The costs are going to be paid by somebody. Ultimately, it's going to be us, the consumer. And ultimately, we're going to figure out ways around that, or at least the largest companies will, until they crowd out their competition, buy up their competition, and all that's left is three major carriers, and they just basically compete, quote-unquote, to see how small they can make our seats, and how high they can raise our prices, and how much money they can ream out of us on our bag fees, because frankly, 
what does it matter? Oh, you're going to go to everybody who says, hey, I'm never going to fly United ever again. I'm guessing that less than 1% of the people who have made those sorts of statements who travel on a regular basis actually end up sticking to their guns on that. Because quite honestly, with three major carriers, you're just going to pay whatever the lowest price is for the most convenient flight because, frankly, there aren't that many options. If there were dozens of options, then you could say, hey, screw United, to heck with them. But sometimes the only way to get from Cincinnati to Baltimore on one stop is United. And guess what? You're going to do it. And that's too bad because the airline business is obviously a very profitable thing potentially. There's lots of people, there's millions of people every single day who want to take flights, who take maybe even multiple flights in a day. Clearly there's money to be made here. So how can it be that there's only three major companies? Why? Well, a big part of that reason is because it's so cost prohibitive, obviously, to start an airline. It costs a lot of money to just buy airplanes, much less to much less the cost of conforming to all of the different regulations that are put forth in front of airlines these days. Now, that's not to say that obviously there shouldn't be rules and safety precautions in in flying. Nobody is arguing that point. But again, let's look at that crowding out effect. It's it's, It's very obviously there. And finally, I saw a piece in the New York Times recently about how there was a small hospital in Kansas that was closing and that this was a trend of more and more hospitals closing, small hospitals closing throughout the country, leaving places that are relatively isolated and relatively unpopulated, having to go even farther for medical care than they otherwise would have. You know, obviously part of living in relative isolation in rural areas There's obviously advantages to that, but there's also some downsides too. Part of that is you're farther from medical care than somebody who, say, lives in the middle of Chicago, for instance. But there's absolutely no reason other than the crowding out effect, once again, which is brought on by just the enormous regulatory burden of the healthcare system via Medicare, Medicaid, Obamacare, you name it. I mean, you name it. There's just an incredible regulatory burden that is placed on any new hospital, any small hospital, any new doctor, any practice. And a lot of that is the certification of the medical field, too. The amount of money that it takes to become a doctor in 2018 is completely absurd. I mean, truly. The hundreds of thousands of dollars you have to go into into debt doesn't make any sense but again that is a part of that's another crowding out effect we're crowding out anybody who's not rich to be a doctor essentially and even rich people don't want to just throw away a dozen years of their life in medical school and residency etc 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 only to then just not make that much money and hopefully pay down their debt in 20 years that's not that's not a calculation that most people are going to make You've got to really, really love medicine to make that choice. And an increasingly low amount of people are making that choice to go into medical school. Again, more crowding out effect. The bottom line is if there were lower regulatory burdens, costs of just starting up a new practice, a new hospital, a new medical care facility, whatever you want to call it, any of those types of things, you would see 
so many more of those things. Look at veterinarians. You see vets, there are far, far, far fewer regulations placed upon veterinarians. And yet we don't, when I take my dogs to the vet, I still assume that the vet is going to actually take good care of them and, and wants to help them. And you know what? I've had other times where I haven't been pleased with my vet care and I've moved on from that vet and went to a new vet. See, there's so many more vet options in my hometown and I'm sure in your hometown as well. I actually just embarrassingly, I just thought of something. Just this morning, I was trying to establish a new primary care doctor and I stupidly didn't set an alarm and set through and slept through the appointment. Well, guess what? I'm not going to be able to get another appointment with this person for three months. Three months. If I called and wanted to get my dog in to see a vet, they could probably take him tomorrow, possibly even today. What's going on? Listen, I know, and, and guess what? I know that there are those of you who are listening out this that love your pets more than you love your neighbors. So let's not act like this is, well, we care more about people than animals. That's really not it. This is the crowding out effect in action. Because, again, people are not rational. They're not necessarily rational. They're not necessarily rational. But what they are is motivated. And if it, it may be irrational for me to care more about my dog than I do about my neighbor. But the bottom line is, if I do care more about my dog than my neighbor, then why is healthcare so much more difficult for my neighbor? That doesn't make any sense because my neighbor has people that care about him more than my dog. Does any of that make sense? The point is, if I care about my dog and I want to be able to get it medical care, the demand is there. Now, if I want to get my son helped, my daughter helped, same thing. There's the demand is there. We have very motivated people here who are willing to give up their money. What's the difference? The difference is, is there's a crowding out huge regulatory burden in human medicine that is not there with veterinary medicine. And look at what the results are. Veterinary care is so much more satisfying, so much more efficient, and it just makes so much more sense than anything we do with human medical care. How bizarre is that? Is anybody going to sit here and tell me we need a large health care scheme? Do we need doggy care? Do we need doggy Cade? Do we need Obama dog? Do we need any of those plans to make medical care better? Because if we have Obama dog, if we have meta dog or doggy care, doggy Cade, if we have any of that stuff, I guarantee you it's going to take months for me to get an appointment for my beloved Baxter. And you know what? That's not something I'm willing to put up with. So let's keep veterinary care more liberalized. And you know what? Let's liberalize. And by liberalize, I mean let's get the government out of our medical care. I trust the doctors a lot more than I trust, I don't know, Elizabeth Warren, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Mitch McConnell. Do you want Mitch McConnell making your doctor's decisions? Or would you rather between you and your doctor? What if Mitch McConnell just burst and was like, oh, hello there. I think uh, here's what you should do with that gallstone. Uh, no, nobody needs Mitch McConnell or Alexandro Ocasio or Cortez, who do not have medical degrees, by the way. And by the way, Alexandria's economics degree, woo, go ahead and just ball that thing up and throw it into the garbage disposal for me, will ya? Anyway... 
that's it. That's all I got on Everybody Trades today. I hope you all are having a wonderful Wednesday, because I know I am. So, until next time.